brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Okay, the acres and acres of tar and cement, and it's the fifth Wednesday of the month, so we've got a no specific program, but we've got a very important program today. In fact, we've got three guests, as it turns out, so we're going to go Whoa. almost immediately to our first, because uh, John McPherson rang last night. Now, he's going to have his big day next week, of course, but um, he's our transport commentator. But mm-hmm. he did ring up and say he'd like to say a couple of things about this orbital rail project that was announced yesterday by the government with $50 billion worth of under Whoa. rail all over Melbourne. And he had a few thoughts on it he wanted to just get across. So we're going to talk to John very briefly. Um, But then we're going to be talking to a bloke called Peter McCallum, which I know registers in Melbourne, but uh, the name, but his name is Peter McCallum, and he's from the... He's from the Mackay Conservation Group, and he's going to talk to us about the $443 million grant that went to a private company with no tender, etc., in the last budget to mm. save the Barrier Reef. And there's some scepticism about whether they will, given that most of the polluters are on the board. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh, we're going to talk to them about that. And we'll also, I think, discuss with him the events of the past week in relation to the environment, the fact that it's been hived off from energy, which isn't a bad thing in itself, but it's... Um, it's been hived off not for good reasons but bad ones, I suspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the fact that the um, the new Prime Minister said he doesn't want to talk about climate change, he wants to talk about things that are happening now. And I thought, well, <laughs> you know, either he's found the solution or uh, he's got it a bit wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, there God. we are. So we'll discuss he- that. In the last half, we've got... Um, well, you can tell us, in fact, Megan, this case. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a guest coming. I'll pour from... you a cup of tea while it's on, by the oh, way. Oh, well, you <laughs> always pour the tea while I'm speaking. Yeah, that's right. That's and... good. <laughs> Is it good? Is yeah. it, does it work? Um, well, it works for me. Okay. Um, Pepper Tree Place in Coburg is a beautiful community garden that's um, operated under the auspices of the Uniting Church. And um, we've got a guest coming in to talk about Pepper Tree Place because it looks like it will be closing soon. Um, due to some economic rationalism in the in the Uniting Church, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a shame. Is it's a it's a good positive community space with a lot of different events that happen there. So and indeed, there was a the um, Saturday morning program Solidarity Breakfast uh, had a some grabs from an event there the like the Saturday uh, previous to two weeks this Saturday I guess mm. um, to. Um, to, as, as part of the campaign to save it, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's yeah, yes, yeah. but it's clearly an important um, plays an important role in that part of the world. It's up the top end of Sydney Road there near. Penfield. It's near your stomping ground, isn't it? Yeah, we're sort of rave for the year. It's a better suburb away, but it's mm-hmm. up that you know, it's mm-hmm. where I, my bike does go past there. Sometimes. <laughs> Have you been there to Pepper Tree? Place? I haven't actually. No, mm. not not specifically. Have mm-hmm. you? No. No. Have you, Gab? Because Gab's in the studio. She has. She's nodding her head. So she, sure she can do the interview. She's like, um, look, just <laughs> we a, can go have a cup of tea. That's right. Yeah. Before we, before we go to John, just a couple of very small things. I did have a lot of things, but I'll, I'll let them slide. But I thought one that was really interesting was uh, a funeral director is complaining about lower di- inter- lower dividends this year because fewer people are dying. 
So <laughs> perhaps, perhaps we can all make some sort of contribution or stop oh. being selfish or something. Um, not sure about that. But the one I did want to mention was, and I think it is important, um, we've mentioned on this program a few times the fact that um, Kelly O'Dwyer, the now she doesn't know who holds the role anymore, but she, her her role as some sort of assistant treasury role mm. was to, to to wrench superannuation funds away from unions and workers control and put it in the in the banks, and so she she put that term of reference in the banking royal commission. But unfortunately for her, it's backfired spectacularly. And the ones that she wanted to, to put on the boards, the so-called independents, are the ones ripping off big time, um. uh, which explains, of course, why they're making less money for their members. Uh, and uh, the government has announced over the weekend quietly that it's abandoning that altogether. And, uh, and oh. so the un- that's a good news for the unions and, wow. and workers, I suspect. Yeah, especially um, when superannuation is such a... A rot a lot of the time. Well, yes, that's right. So, well, it is, and I mean, it's it's much safer in the hands of, of union officials or workers than in hands of, as we've seen through the Royal Commission, bankers yeah. and financial advisors, <clears throat> etc. Yeah, turns out they're not trying to make us money. No, no, no. it's strange, they're isn't it? Trying to make themselves yeah, money. When you give it to someone whose profit, whose motive is profit, and not uh, the interest of the members, I suppose that's likely to happen. A bit like the privatisation of energy. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. it's not like it's a secret. Like it's the explicit motive of private companies is to make a profit. It's yeah, got yeah. spot on. Yeah. Spot on. yeah. It's not like, not yeah. like people are like, what are they doing? No, they're definitely trying to make this planet, you put that one up. I finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's going on. All right, look, we'll get John McPherson. who has been a few more than 30 years on this planet and he'll talk about some of his experiences in transport. Let's get him on the line. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Okay, back on there. And John McPherson's on the line. John, um, yesterday the government announced a, a orbital rail link around Melbourne, which at face value sounds pretty good. You had you wanted to make some comments on it, though. Yeah. Just to let people know, John, we did mention the prop of the show, but John is our regular transport commentator. He'll be on and talk about this a lot more, I'm sure, next week. Yeah, thanks Thanks for giving me the opportunity, Kevin, just to jump in at the, this early stage, because we, we had this thing dumped on us, basically, by the Premier... Um, um, earlier in the week, and uh, it's such a huge, it's such a huge project, and it does sound so exciting, and it is is exciting in many ways. But um, I think the the major point I'd like to make is that there's plenty plenty more public transport than just a new rail loop. There's plenty of things need doing to our present rail system, including more more extensions and um, uh, <laughs> better signalling and better track and better all sorts of things. And as well as the rail system that needs extensions to the outer suburbs because the outer suburbs are still going to grow like crazy, uh, we've also got a tram system that needs lots of upgrading as well. And then we also need bus systems to feed people 
to all these new stations and to this new improved public transport system. And our bus networks at the moment are deplorable. Mm. So there's plenty to do uh, apart from this this wonderful project. Mm. Can you give us a summary of what's being proposed, John? Okay, well, they want to, want to build a great horseshoe loop of, 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 of track that would start it in the south-east at um, Cheltenham, which is the Southland shopping centre. Uh, loop round uh, to uh, encompass Monash, and, and by the way, every time this new line crosses one of the radial rail lines, there'd be a major station. But it will also mean a station at Monash Uni, uh, the Burwood campus of whichever uni is there now, uh, Box Hill, Doncaster. It would put Doncaster on the rail network, which would be great. Uh, it would also then loop round to Heidelberg and um, Reservoir, Faulkner, and it would then link to Broadmeadows and the airport. And then in the outer east, uh, sorry, the outer west, it gets it gets less defined. And I think there, there's lots lots of questions to be asked about how you'd use the line in the outer west to um, to to improve public transport, where even rail public transport is very bad in the in mm-hmm. the west. And then it would sweep down to Sunshine, and then down to Werribee. That's 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 the plan as it's um, outlaid at the moment. And it would mm-hmm. would. Um, have very frequent services. Uh, the train's running up to 130 kilometres now, um, and and you know a, a very good, uh, similar to a metro metro service. But then, of course, you know all the other rail lines to Melbourne would need major improvements in service because many many of our rail lines run a long way below metro standards at the moment. The claim is it would become the busiest rail line in Melbourne, and it would um, make a whole lot of journeys a whole lot easier by public transport, and it would do that, that's for sure. That's fascinating that they're including the airport. Is this an alternative to the other airport um, rail that was proposed earlier? That's a good good question. It it appears to me that it could easily be um, an alternative way to get to the airport and get to the airport from both the Broadmeadows direction and the Sunshine direction on this Mm. loop. and, and then, then, then airport trains could then come into the city from Sunshine, but they could run around part of this loop to get to the airport from Sun, on the way out from Sunshine to the airport. And so, oh. yeah, there are there are other useful things could become could be could be combined into this into this loop. I think. Yeah, the um, the timing of it, of course, John, right before an election, does that make you a bit sceptical or uh, yep. of it ever seen it? That's another reason why I just wanted to just want to make the comment, folks, that you know don't don't get bowled over completely. It's 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 a great project, but there but there's lots of other things they're doing in public transport. Well, as well. there's the first money going to it is a feasibility study next Correct. year. They say so. A feasibility study uh, always is a bit concerning with these things when they're announced right before an election. Yeah, well. Uh, the, the Premier's just been on, on 3LO this morning and he's, of course, completely convinced it's the best, best, best thing since sliced bread. And, it, it, you know, the feasibility sh- study will show that it's, um, mm. it's you know, needed in every possible way. Yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. it, um, is it a Metro that's going to do this? And did Metro go to the government or was it the other way around? Uh, do you know? it, it came out of an agency called Development Victoria, which I've never heard of. Okay. It, it certainly didn't come out of infrastructure, Victoria, which is supposed to be our, the gurus for um, for new infrastructure, and yeah. it's been it's been planned uh, in secret over 
over the last year. So obviously designed, of course, to be to be um, brought out just before this this election. Mm. Um, the, the, I'm sure the people who would build it would be the same people who have been doing the uh, level crossing removal projects, which, mm. which you know, they have been doing very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a lot of disruption. A lot of disruption, yeah. but that's, you know... Uh, uh, unavoidable, really. Unavoidable, yeah. unavoidable, yeah. Yeah, all right, John. We'll have to leave okay, it there sure, for the day, but um, we'll t- you'll be back next week. It's yeah. the first Wednesday, and we'll surely we'll talk really much more about thing. this. Okay. Thanks right. very much, Kevin. Okay, thanks, Appreciate John. Appreciate it. Right, John McPherson there, our monthly economic guru. He's on twice this month. He was on twice last month too. I, <laughs> I, I know, I he, he gets lots. He's getting lots of runs. We might lately. need to give him a salary yeah. or something. Oh, something's got to happen. <laughs> um, okay, look, we're going to take a break. We're moving on. It's a pretty busy show this morning, and we're going to go and talk to the um, talk to the Mackay Conservation Group about this half, a, almost half a billion dollar grant to a private group of, of business people to save the Great Barrier Reef. Yep. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430-513-433 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. Okay, and on the line we've got uh, Peter McCallum from the Mackay Conservation Group. And Peter, um, Peter's name would be well known in Melbourne, but uh, he up there, of course, is he is treating uh, the cancerous attacks on the Barrier Reef, I guess, and other things, and and Adani. Um, but um, we let you on today, Peter, to talk about this four hundred and forty-three million dollar grant, which went to a small foundation up in up there, a small group of business people. Um, who had not it was it was there was no tender call that just suddenly appeared in the budget um and I noted in an article in the Saturday paper the week that it went there and then it just sunk without trace for a couple of months but it's resurrected again that some of the people involved with this group include BHP Shell and Peabody Energy which um is interesting putting them in charge of saving the barrier reef from pollution I would have thought yeah, I think that's like putting Coca-Cola in charge of dentistry, isn't it, really? Um, it's, yeah, it doesn't seem like a very sensible idea. I think what the government has done is use this um, 
donation to this organisation as a way of um, uh, getting their accounts in order with the um, the, the United Nations uh, uh, committee that's looking into the world heritage status of the race. They've, they've, um, uh, they've committed to spend making a large expenditure on uh, on rehabilitation of uh, waterways and, and things that are impacting on the Great Barrier Reef. And, and to do that by 2020, um, but it's not really possible for their for, for organisations that are under the control of the government to do that, like the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority or the Australian Institute of Marine Science. So they've they've parked this money in, a, in an external organisation in the hope that uh, UNESCO will then say, "Well, you've done you're great, tick that box, you've spent all that money," uh, when nothing will have been done by them. Yeah, it's um, well. Also, um, the the Great Barrier Reef. Well, there's always you mentioned a couple of authorities, but there's also some unis up there who are doing like, sure. like Cook Point. Um, what's his name? Captain Cook, James Cook, James Cook um, James who are um, doing amazing research work in this area. Yet, um, you know, they would seem to be much more viable groups to give this sort of money to who are actually doing work on research. Yeah, well, look, you know, so what's going to happen now is that um, those organisations will have to apply to the Great Barrier Reef Foundation uh, for funding for those projects rather than going straight to the government or the government just giving uh, those other organisations that are controlled um, more money in the budget. Uh, so there is no uh, no need for, you know, further, you know, grant writing and, and all those sort of processes that, you know, occupy scientists' time when they should be out uh, doing work on the reef. You know, that's, that's really what's important, uh, mm. that people are doing the research and, uh, and undertaking the work that is going to uh, to prevent uh, further pollution, uh, and also you know we should well I, I don't, I'm not sure that this money will actually go to um, doing anything about climate change. It may be looking at um, ways of mitigating the damage after this climate change occurs, but not really um, uh, stopping the, the the actions that are causing the reefs to be bleached uh, year after year. Yeah. Well, they name about three things, including the the um, starfish, the the crown of thorn starfish, and a couple of other things. But uh, the three things they mention that the money's going to going to direct it, be directed to don't mention climate change at all. So uh, yeah. one might have thought that that would be fairly important. Oh, of course it is. You know, like uh, you know, that is the single biggest threat to the reef. Um, but of course, we also recognise, you know, it's like having a patient who has uh, terminal cancer, but also serious heart disease and uh, and kidney failure. You know, you need to you need to treat all those things uh, if you want the reef to survive. So, so you know, we, we have uh, here in uh, Mackay, where I am, um, a big sugar industry that um, uh, you know really hasn't uh, stepped up to the plate in terms of preventing. Uh, you know, nitrogen and and uh, and sediment runoff from farms reaching the reef. Uh, so that that's really an important issue in terms of you know uh, changing the uh, the ecology of the reef. Uh, it encourages crown of thorn starfish, um, hill seagrass um, that you know the turtles and dugong uh, are absolutely dependent on. Um, but it, it, you know, like we we need to we do need to do those things that this money is going to. Um, but we need to do a lot about climate change and we need to do a lot more than this money uh, will will fund. Um, 
Mm. Our understanding is that uh, the cost of rehabilitating um, all those waterways that are flowing into the Great Barrier Reef would be in the order of like 16 to $22 billion. So this half billion is, um, is really you know, completely inadequate. Mm. What's, um, what's your area of focus up there in Mackay, Peter? Are you working with particular community groups? Uh, yeah, well, we um, we work with a, uh, a range of organisations here in various different aspects of um, ecology. So we have a, uh, a, a big uh, community organisation here that, that monitors sea turtles. There are others that monitor seagrass. Um, we work with the uh, bird, um, uh, bird Life Australia or Bird Life Mackay, um, mm. looking at things, you know, like the black-throated finch that would be impacted by a Darnie's coal mine and Mm-hmm. Uh, other projects that are proposed out in the um, the Galilee Basin, and uh, you know, and our work is, uh, you know, is a lot of our work is focused on um, uh, preventing uh, new coal mines opening uh, in the in the Galilee, especially. Mm. Um, Mackay's like historically, you mentioned the sugar, and there's a big uh, farming community up there. I'm assuming, and uh, a lot of uh, political conversation about things like drought. Um, what's the kind of response in the local area, if you have a feel for it, to this recent announcement or, you know, that it's come to light that this money's been given to this foundation? Oh, I think people are outraged. Mm-hmm. Like I've had people come up to me and say, you know, this, this would bring down the government, really. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing you know, where, where a, um, uh, uh, you know, when money is just handed over, especially in those sort of times, uh, to an organisation without any uh, any due diligence, without um, proper assessment by uh, by the bureaucracy or the public service, you know, then uh, it does seem that there's a strong whiff around that. that. So mm. um, people, people are very concerned. Um, but I think, you know, people here, uh, you know, when you mentioned the drought, you know, mm. they're very, also very concerned about uh, things like um, Adani being given uh, huge amounts of water um, yeah. uh, for free. Um, there's, uh, there's a potential. Uh, Darling's uh, currently got a, an application into um, to draw another 10 billion litres per year out of the Sutter River. Now, I don't know if you if you've ever travelled up to uh, Central Queensland, you'll see that a lot of the rivers in this area uh, are sand most of the time. Mm-hmm. There's no water in them at all, um, and so those. Those flood flows are very important uh, for, for getting downstream into areas where uh, where you know the, the water is the water is in the ground uh, and uh, you know that that it's the flood flows that recharge those those underground waters. Um, mm-hmm. So Adani is uh, is proposing to take another ten billion litres out of the out, out of the river system during floods, but also there's a they, they don't have in place a with uh, an underground water plan yet. Uh, so they call that a groundwater-dependent ecosystem management plan, which is a bit of a mouthful. Mm. But um, what that's about is um, making sure that the um, uh, that the, the fauna and flora that are in, in, in the underground water systems are, are understood properly, that also the, um, the aquifers that feed... Um, the little oases that are nearby to um, Adani's uh, proposed mine are not impacted, and that the recharge areas for the Great Artesian Basin, that all those um, communities, all those uh, ecological systems, 
and uh, and graziers and other farmers sort of west of Adani are all dependent upon. So people, you know, in this time when there is a very significant drought across the country, um, you know, are, are quite concerned about, you know, the government allowing uh, a company like Adani to uh, be able to, to draw on those water supplies that are critical to, to the environment mm. and to human uh, survival. Yeah, there's also, of course, the the, the port development at Mackay, um, which is all part of putting coal, etc., through the Barrier Reef, um, and, and the fact that your local council and the Townsville Council have have uh, dobbed in millions to build an airport, haven't they, out at the Adani site? Well, Townsville proposed to do that. Mackay, unfortunately, our mayor has been much smarter here. Uh, <laughs> he, he said that uh, he had a, uh, chucked in ratepayers' money into Adani, he would have been strung up by his toenails from the bricks by the, by the local <laughs> community. Now, I think that's what the mayor in Townsville found as well. But the mayor in Rockhampton... Uh, has continued to... So there's three cities uh, 400 kilometres apart along the coast of Queensland, uh, Rockhampton, Mackay and then Townsville. Two of them uh, have agreed uh, that they would help fund Adani's uh, airport. Uh, Mackay, mm-hmm. fortunately, has not. So uh, so your uh, your colleagues at the Yarrabut radio show, the bicycle one, would, would probably be interested to know that Mackay Council is spending $10.6 million on bikeways over the next couple of years. Oh, so, oh, rather than building an airport for a <laughs> well, that's, so, that's much, so. much better. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it's the power of the um, of your conservation group, of course, that the mayor thought, oh, we've got to be not going to do that. Well, possibly, but also, I think, you know, the, the, you know it's a progressive council here that uh, has, you know, the, is thinking about, you know, what, uh, what we want in the future. We're not looking backwards at, um, you know, we do have a big coal industry here, but I think that people... Uh, across all sort of walks of life, realise that that's not going to go forever, um, mm. and that we do need a plan for a you know fair transition away from um, coal mining and and job opportunities in these areas, um, and, and also opportunities for business to to operate in this area. So what we've seen is that um, in this region we've got a couple of billion dollars worth of uh, investment uh, in uh, like, like big wind farms. Um, uh, even uh, the sugar industry here, one of the big, you know, the big green tips that they get is that our, one of our local sugar mills um, produces 30% of Mackay's uh, energy from a, bio, um, uh, a biofuel uh, process. Mm-hmm. So they take the waste product from the sugarcane uh, crushing and they feed that into a very efficient furnace that um, produces 26 megawatts of power. Um, and that, that's, you know, that's 30% of our power. The, the people in the industry tell us that if they could get funding, then they would um, they would like to see that head up to 100% of the size power. And, and all uh, 17 or 20 sugar mills in Queensland could do the same. So mm. that would mean, you know, we're not using any of the solar that we, we are producing in large mm-hmm. uh, quantities as well. Uh, and... Uh, saving New South Wales every time one of their coal-fired power stations shuts down. Um, so, you know, Queensland, uh, being the sunshine state, I suppose, has a lot of advantages um, that it should be uh, really pushing. Uh, but we unfortunately have some federal members of parliament here who are sort of stuck in the dark ages and wanting to build new coal-fired power stations. Yeah, don't we know it? Peter, we've had a note from a spe- uh, listener. Um, is he on speaker? Is it a uh, phone? It is really echoey, and it is a bit... Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm in. The, I'm moving to another state, and then right. might just be uh, the room. 
I was the room. So, uh, we've got it. We have, we own uh, our environment center here. We've bought the community donations that. Um, oh, that's awesome. And uh, and it's got a really nice big meeting room. Okay. Well, that's one. That's good news, though. <laughs> I'd hate to do a show there with those echoes. Yeah. Um, the um, look. The the interestingly enough, with this. Um, with the grant to the um, Great Barrier Reef Foundation, um, the Reserve Bank of Australia, a board member um, called, and also a corporate philanthropist, according to the Financial Review, Carol Schwartz, says um, the suggestion business people could not be bastions of the environment was baloney. And she goes on to say um, that if people attack this and, um, and don't think that the corporate sector should play a role in the environment, there are growing fears the outrage over the record allocation could significantly dent corporate phil- philanthropy in Australia, which has lagged behind the United States. Now, um, surely it's, um, it's not that important that we should be protecting corporate philanthropy, is it, by giving this to a private group? Well, you know, I think that people in business in Australia probably should be making more contributions to good causes of all sorts. Um, but, of course, you know, like back in uh, when I was a young fellow, you know, a while back now, um, you know, we, we had a different type of taxation system in Australia that um, taxed, you know, companies and uh, high-income earners at a much higher rate. And we could uh, we could afford to, to look after um, people in the community, you know, pay them pensions when they reach or 60 for women, uh, we could pay, um, uh, you know, we, we, we could do all the things we wanted to do, but the, there's been a gradual erosion of the taxation system. Um, and so people at the top, I suppose, have been raking it in. Uh, they, you know, if they feel that, you know, like uh, some criticism of them, it's uh, not going to, uh, it's going to discourage them from, um, uh, from making donations to good causes, then maybe they should, they should be yeah. yeah, that that's yeah, we're getting this, the reception's pretty ordinary, Peter. Unfortunately, but right, um, okay, yeah, but oh, that's better now, actually. Yeah, once we said it, it must have got some sort of subliminal <laughs> message. Yeah, they just um, started pedalling harder, in the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, just to finish up, then I mean, it's related to the whole thing. How is the the Stop Adani campaign? I know your your group's involved in, um, or in fact, runs running. How's it going? Oh, look, uh, you know, it, it's an ongoing uh, issue. We're not going away. Uh, so far, Adani hasn't gone away either. It still makes no sense, like the, the project. Uh, you know, it's hundreds, uh, mine is hundreds of kilometres from the coast, and it's, it's really low-quality coal. Um, but, they, that, you know, it's being shipped to India where people, you know, can buy coal at about a third of the price if you go to the ground in Australia. So, uh, you know, like... And, and even you know, and and Adani and uh, India are, are moving ahead much faster than we are in terms of solar energy. So mm. Mm. there doesn't seem to be any any need for the project, and it's, it's almost like uh, uh, we've got a you know sort of a billionaire businessman who is really keen to see uh, you know the, the project go ahead for other reasons. Uh, you know, like that maybe because you know the, the company has said that it will happen, they want to make it happen, but. Uh, I, I think it, 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 won't, it certainly won't make any economic sense at all and it doesn't stack up environmentally either. So, you know, the, it, that's been one of the things that the Labor Party has continuously talked about federally, that um, if it doesn't stack up environmentally or economically, then it shouldn't uh, go ahead. Well, it's pretty clear it won't on 
either account. Mm. So maybe the Labor Party needs to start thinking about whether taking a position that says we, we won't support the mine. Mm. You, well, there is one more question, I guess, because we've talked about the we've talked about the reef and the money going to it. But um, recent report that Terry used the from the um, from the Centre of Excellence for Coral Reef Studies uh, was involved in, he said God helped the Barrier Reef when he heard this um, this announcement about this money. But uh, the reef really is in deep trouble, isn't it? And and therefore, climate change needs to be addressed urgently. Absolutely. Look, you know, it, uh, Terry Hughes and others were predicting uh, a long time ago that there was, there was potential for coral bleaching uh, to occur. And unfortunately... Uh, in 2016 and 2017, we saw widespread coal bleaching um, in the Great Barrier Reef and elsewhere around the world. Um, and, and, you know, 50% of the reefs uh, in the Great Barrier Reef system, uh, the thousands of reefs that are there, have been affected by uh, coral bleaching. Um, and that, so that, that, uh, that doesn't mean they won't recover, but it does mean that they... They need a long period of time of cooler conditions, and that's not going to happen with climate change. You know, we're going to see gradual increases in temperatures across the globe, uh, and if, if we don't do anything about it, they won't be gradual; they'll be very rapid. Uh, but at the same time, we're seeing, you know, with extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, you end up with uh, more acidic water, which also affects, uh, you know, all sorts of marine creatures, including corals. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of threats to the poor old Great Barrier Reef, you know. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world, uh, something that more Australians uh, hold here than anything else in the country. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are allowing it to be trashed, unfortunately. Yeah, and of course the problem is that in the last week what we've seen in Canberra is that the environment's gone further down the list, really, in terms of government consideration. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is, that is uh, you know, we've had a In fact, he said he didn't want to talk about something that isn't that uh, isn't happening now. And I thought, please, well, he's found something we don't know. There was, that, that might have been the government going down that last noise we heard. Uh, okay, look, Peter, thanks right. for your time this morning, and okay. um, we'll keep in touch on it. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay. Right here. Uh, Peter McCallum there from the Mackay Conservation Group. Apologise for that um, phone quality. It was pretty ordinary, but um, but I think it was worth going on with the conversation, Mick. A fascinating conversation, and really important to be hearing about what's happening in places like Mackay, even though we're a local um, city limits. We've expanded city a limits. Bit, we've, yeah. we've really expanded the city limits um, to incorporate Mackay's bike lanes. But um, just you know, the Mackay Conservation Group are working hard up there in in a town which. Mm 
is not necessarily, you know, historically known for its um, environmental action, but this has just really galvanised a lot yeah. of that community in, uh, all up in Queensland. So. Yeah, and they've taken legal action against Adani uh, where they won the case, but the government attacked them for abusing the legal system. And, um, yeah. and I thought they, you know, they ignored the minor fact they actually won it on a point of law. Uh-huh, <laughs> exactly. Not really an abuse of the system when you, like, win. So, anyway, we have our next guest here waiting yeah, to we'll, come in. Okay, well... Get her in and we'll talk to her very shortly. Right. Okay, Claire Hetzel in the studio, who's with the um, the group that's trying to save Pepper Tree Place in um, in Coburg up there, top end of Sydney Road. What's the actual address up there, Claire? It's uh, 512 so Sydney Road, but it kind of sits on the corner of, uh, of Urquhart, Bell and Sydney Road. Yeah, yeah, up there. And... Um, there's been the campaigns on because it's about well there's a pro the the uniting church that runs it wants to uh, close it in fact you've been ordered to close by Friday I believe but let's before we get there let's go to Pepper, Pepper Tree Place what it is how it started and what it does and and why it's so important to keep open there were about four questions there <laughs> I'll take my pick um, so Pepper Tree Place is really quite unique um, as a community garden in Melbourne and. I guess it started, it's been running for about 15 years. So uh, Kildon and Uniting Care um, was the organisation, the parent organisation of that space. And I guess they provided a really slow and beautiful incubation of both uh, the development of the site. So it is, um, the property is owned by the Uniting Church, but it's been leased to um, this sort of not-for-profit slightly affiliated but ultimately independent um, parent organisation to to run something on site. And so they've run Pepper Tree Place, which at other times in its life have been known as the Coburg Kitchen Garden, the Coburg Cooking Garden, and they've done that over 15 years. So um, I guess what we're talking about is a landscape that is um, used to be old tennis courts and uh, mats that was once, um, you know, the minister's home for the Bluestone Church that's right on the corner there of Sydney Road and Bell Street. Um, and that landscape has de- been developed over time. And beside that landscape has developed an amazing connection of social links. Um, and so Pepper Tree Place is unique in terms of what happens there. So this garden isn't a garden for people with disabilities alone. It's not a school garden alone, but it is a school garden. It's got Kobo Primary that backs onto its back fence and the kids have been coming for the duration of its time there. Um, It's not just a community nursery. It's not plots with individual holders. It's, It's garden collectively. And over its sort of lifespan, it's run a huge number of different programs that all connect in and bring a diverse group of people to the same lunch table. And so that, that mixing place between people that represent all the marginalised groups in our society and the wider community is what I believe creates real change in the lives of individuals. Mm. That's such a, um, a beautiful picture and uh, it does sound unique from my knowledge of community gardens and how they usually do operate, that there's quite a lot of a bit uh, a silo effect. Like um, you might have a community garden that, that has specific plots and people come and tend their plot, but there's not necessarily the sharing of food or the um, interaction between programs and there's not necessarily children in a place. And then you might have kitchen gardens in a school and you might have a garden or a gardening program in an aged care facility. But that interaction between all of those different um, community groups and social groups 
sounds really unique. Absolutely. And I guess um, Pepper Tree Place has then added on all these extra bits as a community composting hub. So there is someone who turned up, you know, last Saturday and um, recognised me and I recognised her and I haven't worked there for five years and she's still bringing her compost mm-hmm. every single week to a spot that then's managed by individuals who have come through a Work for the Dole program and are now proud uh, volunteers of Pepper Tree Place working beside all of those other individuals from diverse backgrounds. So... It is something that is offering back to the community. It in itself is caring for special, amazing human beings in this community. Mm. Um, and as a landscape, it's quite a beautiful place. It's it's yeah. it's hit its kind of maturity in some ways. Mm. Obviously named after a huge pepper tree. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful big pepper trees. Um, uh, yes, and as a place, a meeting place. So there's... There's some beautiful, um, a document, a collective narrative that was drawn together a number of years ago by a master's student um, from the Dolch Centre in um, Narrative Therapy. But she basically spent a lot of time listening and she uh, listened to individuals in the garden who um, would consider themselves volunteers, some visitors, other people who were staff members. And what she then wove together was something that talked about what this place was important how this place was important to that group as a collective. So there are parts that are easily recognisable as the words of an individual, but what it created as a whole is this beautiful fabric that kind of described why these places Mm. are necessary in our society in very human ways, you know. Mm. I make a biscuit every time I come. This has helped with the loneliness. Mm Mm-hmm. This is not just for me. This has helped with my dif- understanding of difference. You know, all of these little sound bites that, mm. to me, are evidence of some beautiful, worthwhile investment in something for our community. Mm. And you, it does have a cafe, doesn't it, with some coffee or whatever? It, it does. Yeah. The cafe has evolved. Mm. Um, I guess the two there's a cafe and a community nursery. Um, and often uh, my background is in social and therapeutic horticulture, and I'm, I am actually... Um, a registered horticultural therapist. I went over to the States and went through a process there for a number of years. So often what happens when you run these programs, you end up with a whole lot of plants, including they (laughs) then make beautiful uh, an opportunity to sell them in a nursery context. (laughs) So they were originally grown to be planted in the garden, to be shared with the school, to then be sold to other people who were happy to kind of buy something a little bit closer to the odd bunch from the supermarket than what you would find. So do you have a nursery and also do you grow food there as well. Yep. And, so the, and the yep. grown food, what happens to it? Does it get eaten on the side or people take it away? Or yep. It's so, <clears throat> so I guess it's um, the, the food is grown collectively and it's grown by people. Some people are there every day. You know, there's someone who comes six days a week, believe it or not. And some people come once a week and some people come on a sort of more ad hoc basis. Some groups come and, and garden in the space. So there's no sense of ownership over that particular crop. So if you planted the garlic, it doesn't mean you come back and and harvest it and take it home. So what happens is something that's quite a bit of a loose arrangement. Um, People uh, who are there on the day when there's stuff that can be harvested take that home. Um, Every day there's usually a shared meal and some of the produce goes into that. Uh, Produce is then used in some of the um, uh, meals that are created from the cafe that has another, another 
mm. little social enterprise that's evolved. And it's also shared on this, the community swap table. So Saturdays once a month is the um, home, the incredible home, homegrown food swap. It's changed its name 17 million times. But anyway, basically people from the community bring their excess from home and they put it on a table beside the excess from other people and also the excess from the garden. And then they take what they need. So some individuals might take a bit and some individuals might offer and take a lemon, you know, but it's actually a beautiful meeting place Mm. for the sharing of our resources. It sounds like such an incredible, if um, such an incredible space and the the things that happen there sound to me like if you were, if you were, for example, a city council or a non-profit group and you were trying to um, cultivate a sense of, community and social inclusion and education and food security that is like ticking so many boxes for the kind of programs that need to be happening in a city like Melbourne um and but it sounds like it's evolved really organically which is a really special and unique thing because a lot of um there's so much funding and there's so much sort of like thinking about how do we get people engaged with community and each other? How do we address food insecurity in a city? Um, but this seems to have been able to evolve organically over 15 years. It, it has. And um, so Ross Parker was the coordinator there, the guns coordinator there for, for many years. Um, and I've worked with Ross in other contexts. He actually, he actually, um, provided supervision on a student internship and for me when I was way back learning about all this stuff and he's a very quiet man and he um, provides a, a lot of space and room for other people to come in and contribute and so I think as a leadership style it might not be recognizable to many people but I've learned a lot from Ross about community and I think that what we're seeing now is an investment of many people but um but I think he should be recognised for what he has given to this space and continues to give daily. Is he still? So he's still there? Uh, no, he actually retired mm. um, and has moved to, to Geelong. But, right. um, but we saw each other. He's, he's come out to help with the cause. He's up here with us. And, um, so he's travelling that far to um. help um, people navigate this process and, and to help make sure that not no one's voice is lost as we move forward as a group. Mm. Well, we better, speaking of moving forward, mm. you better get on to the problem because yes. we, we hope you do move forward. <laughs> but currently you've been told it's going to close on Friday. What What's the background to the problem of why it's been closed, etc.? Okay, so if, um, I've mentioned Kildon and Uniting Care who have been a parent organisation who um, incubated this space. So um, what happened, I think it was last year or anyway, within a, the last little while, is all of these um, sort of arms, the not-for-profit arms of the Uniting Church or flying under the Uniting Church's banner, um, basically they're independent organisations. So Kildonan was a child and family service and they provided all of these um Uh, necessary programs in our society. They have been merged alongside all of the other organisations in Victoria and Tasmania into something that is a huge conglomerate called Uniting. And they're still really going through a process of understanding how to gel all that stuff together, I'm imagining. And I think when you look on paper and you've never visited Pepper Tree Place, you probably could make it a really easy cut. You go, actually, this is something pretty, you know, odd, local, small-scale, 
you know, it might read as um, just a couple of people hanging out in the garden. Mm-hmm. And what's lost, if you haven't ever visited that place or perhaps it hasn't been well communicated because the people there are the ones who are gardening rather mm. than spruiking, um, is what is what we're talking about. And so I understand as a purely financial decision that the garden has been um, flagged for closure. And as a group, we're actually not asking Uniting to reverse that decision. We really understand that perhaps it's not the best fit, that this community is wanting and is ready and we're at a point where we can actually work towards a solution that is Mm. uh, community-based management. And... So uh, we're just trying to engage in that conversation. And I guess it's a little bit complicated by the fact that Uniting is not the Uniting Church. Uniting is a separate entity. And the Uniting Church is um, actually working really cooperatively with us, at least the local congregation, the Mm. COBA congregation, who have um, preferential use on that land. So they're not the ultimate decision makers about what happens to that property, but they definitely have a say. And they are believers in Perpetu Place. Mm. They're locals. They come and buy plants from us. They come and share cups of tea. And I'm sure members of the congregation are part of the part of the group absolutely so so we are i really want to make that clear that the coburg uniting church congregation is supportive of pepper tree place the uniting church and its representatives have been trying to understand who we are and we are still forming but we are um making uh, trying to ensure that we represent the people who have their hearts linked to this place Mm -hmm. um so they are trying to work with us on a solution and we had a really productive conversation with a couple of their representatives last night mm-hmm. to try and just show the, show them that actually we're not just a group of passionate people. We are a group of passionate people who are gelling together in a way that is spectacular um, and covers all of the skills that you need to enable this space to go on. Mm-hmm. So people are coming, to, you know, in, we're having a meeting out in the gardens and suddenly a bowl of soup arrives in my hand. I think that's just as valuable as the Mm. um, policy and development piece that's been offered by some other volunteers. Mm -hmm. Mm. So what is the um, best possible kind of outcome from the perspective of Pepper Tree Place and how it could continue? Well, I guess I'm still really hopeful. Maybe I'm. I'm. Um, maybe I always look at the world in that way. But I actually think we're in a situation where Bit it's of a, a worry win- here. But it's really <laughs> we don't want an optimist a on this program. Different kind of. <laughs> I know. I do. Well, I'm not just an optimist. I'm actually, my skill is helping to gel people together. I'm, I'm one of seven with a twin, so for some reason I've been brought and bred to this role, even if I might come to it um, a little hesitantly. But. Um, I guess I'm inspired by what I see happening. I don't see why we can't form a solution to this problem that actually serves everyone, including Uniting's desire to Including walk away. staying on that spot, though, including in that, in that property. Including staying on that spot, yeah. at yeah. least until um, December 2020 when the current lease arrangement sits. Right. I'm not, we're not even pushing beyond that. We're just saying we've got a couple of years where we can do a little experiment in what the power of community really can pull off. Mm-hmm. And mm. because is is the push that the land um, that that uniting want to sell the land, or is the push that um, they're financially supporting the yep. program? So uniting just want to stop running the program. Right. It costs them money, right. and perhaps it's not aligned with what they see as their core business. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps they also may not understand it fully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So they're wanting to just not run the program and so they're wanting to kind of bow out of their lease on that site. Okay. So we're not ta- it's not being driven by any need to sell that land. It's okay. actually just the uniting's decision to say cut, cutting something that costs them money and mm-hmm. perhaps isn't of so relevant to them, although they might believe that. Yep. And then the uniting church, the congregation who um, – ultimately own and just make decisions about the use of the land are obviously something some a group that we need to engage with if we want to say is this something that we can work on together yeah but so that's our ask what costs are involved for them though because it seems to run itself doesn't it pretty much i mean no so there has been staff or... members i mean we're talking about something that is is hard to coordinate or hold together as a bowl of jelly you know yep. like this isn't something that's easy but mm. um so there are staff members there. There's one remaining staff member. They didn't fill positions. There, there has been um, a sort of squeezing of hours over a number of years. That means it's been... And the, the, what you make from, say, the, the nursery and from the cafe, et cetera, wouldn't be enough to, to carry those, to, to meet those, that cost? I guess we have, yes, last night what we put forward is uh, a proposal, a pr- proposal to transition. And what we did was um, to be a little bit careful. So what we said is we're needing cooperation for an interim period until the end of the year while we get our house in order. We've got a couple of opportunities in terms of auspicing and umbrellaing of our, of our group that would help provide some very... Um, quite amazing opportunities for governance and, and support mm. and that we're planning to organise. So in terms of costs, we have done those figures and what we feel confident in is we probably can't hold a staff member from now until the end of the year. But what has happened is six out of the last seven staff members who've been on site, I mean, Ross has been there for a long time, but other people have come for two or three or four mm. years, are offering to donate their time to supervise and support the volunteers on site so that we can continue this garden until December. So there are people who love it, who are willing to put their money up, and they come from all Mm. walks of life. So what we feel is possible is that we can um, create our own um, opportunity to... um, care for managing and create a better a growing mm-hmm. a growth point for this garden mm. but we can't do that without a conversation between uniting us and the uniting church yep. yeah and friday at this stage they say they're going to close it but you're hoping they don't obviously well i guess what we pointed out to them is that they've got three closure dates so on friday the garden is closed to the public which actually just means on the saturday when we would normally meet the gardens won't be open mm. in two weeks later the gardens will be closed to the core the volunteers who come to the gardens and have their lives entwined with that space. Mm. And then one week later, the last remaining staff member on the 21st of September will be leaving the site. Mm. But Uniting is tied up there through some sub-lease agreements until the end of, until December. So we really think it's possible to engage in a a transition process. And I still, I am, I am feeling optimistic because, um, I don't see why that should be a barrier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With the support of the land uh, yep, holders. so we have the yeah. landholders who mm. who are, um, have been getting to know us and, mm. and we're getting to ourselves. But mm. I think they feel confident that this isn't just people uh, passionately responding to the loss of something. This is people passionately responding to the loss of something and putting uh, their pledges forward to say we can make this happen. Mm. And that's our point of difference. Okay. We can do this when Uniting couldn't because mm. of that community collaboration. So best case yeah. scenario, it's yeah. going to be a, a transition into a sus- self-sustaining, ongoing community space that keeps the programs out of there. Absolutely. Yeah. So watch that space. <laughs> yeah. Wish and, luck. And, um, yeah, if people want to hear more about it or see what's going on. 
Um, absolutely. So there's a Facebook page, a Save Pepper Tree Place Facebook page. There's a mailing list that you can join. Um, we will be on Saturday as a group working out our, um, our pathways for communication. But um, there, there's also the petition through Megaphone, which is Save Pepper Tree Place, that people are still welcome to um, sign up to. So Google us, Save Pepper Tree Place. And um, that has almost... 2,000 signatures of uh, both online and handwritten signatures. People have been walking the streets saying, awesome. let's save this place. 